If you have your Bibles, if you, don't, if you didn't bring one this morning, you're welcome to pull out your phone, or there might be one. They're kind of scattered around here randomly, so you could grab one. If you don't have one and you need one, put up your hand, and God may just drop one in it. So, Or Ed, or somebody, I don't know. We're going to be in John chapter 1, um, looking at verses 1 through 14 this week and next week. We just spent the last two weeks in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and for kind of Advent season, we're going to be focusing on the concept of light, of light. So open up to John chapter 1. As you're turning there, just say a few words about what we do here on Sunday mornings and what we believe um, about this book. Uh, it's often been described when folks talk about the book of John, I've heard it before described as almost like a pool of water. A pool of water, the book of John is sort of like a pool of water that is safe enough for a child to paddle in, yet it's also deep enough for an elephant to swim in, right? As you open up and begin to read the book of John, it's one that's oftentimes um, recommended for folks if they're starting on their journey of faith, if they're just trying to discover and learn about who this Jesus is. The book of John is oftentimes recommended as a great starting point. And, and part of the reason is because it, it ties in and, and really addresses themes that are happening all the way from Genesis through the book of Revelation. It so clearly points out that Jesus is a long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus is God himself. Um, it is a, a really useful book, but it's also, if you've ever read the book of John, and part of the reason why I sometimes hesitate to recommend folks to start there is because it's also a very complex and complicated book. If you have not read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 before, you will see exactly how complex and complicated this book can be, okay? But again, it's like a pool of water. It's safe enough for a child to paddle in and deep enough for an elephant, y'all, to swim in. An elephant, all right? Now, I point that out because I think it's important for us to remember. As we approach this book this morning, or maybe tomorrow, or anytime we open up this book, all of us are at sort of different places in our journey with Jesus. Some of us are maybe completely unfamiliar with the Bible itself. Maybe we're just discovering Christianity. Maybe we're just learning about Jesus. Or maybe we're coming back to Jesus, right? And we believe that as we open up his scriptures, that this book has something to say to you and for you. That as you read this book, even in the infancy of your faith, you will immediately begin to apply it and to learn the things of God. We also believe simultaneously that regardless of how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how long you have been on this journey of faith, no matter how mature or seasoned you may be, no matter how familiar you are with this book, every time you pick it up, there is a word for you too. Isn't this true? For the, some of you who may be sitting here this morning know this to be true, that you've been walking with the Lord for a while, and yet every time you open up this book, the word continues to encourage you, to convict you, to challenge you, to call you to something. This word is for you too. It's the beauty of the Bible. And so it's, it's one of the reasons why we gather around it every single Sunday. And kind of like what Jeremy was saying earlier, we could promote ourselves. We could. But we gather here as a people. We are primarily promoting the risen Christ. And our hope is that we would gather under his name. And that your attention and your affections and your heart would be raised. Your gaze would be lifted up to see him in his glorious splendor. That's our goal on Sunday mornings, is to do that together. Not to, I mean, we would love, don't get me wrong, we would love, man, I've got a captive audience right here. She is locked in, I love it. Man, 
it's fantastic. Teaching her, yes, absolutely. We would love nothing more for you to be connected to Parkview East, okay? But our primary purpose of gathering here this morning, we are primarily here not to connect you or win you to ourselves. Our primary purpose is to connect you to Jesus himself. That's what we do on Sunday mornings, all right? So that's one of the reasons. I mean, Lily does a fantastic job. She is a blessing to our church. Her and her sister Amanda serve us well, right? They do. But we are not here, like Jeremy mentioned, to be in awe of one another, okay? Come to be encouraged by each other, fed by one another, challenged by one another, embraced by one another, but primarily we come here to exalt Jesus and to worship him. So this morning, as we look at these words, these are sacred, these are true, these are holy, these are God, God himself, his words speaking to us. So we're in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read 1 through 14. It's an awesome, it's a beautiful text. If you are new to the Bible, there's a good chance as I read these words, it may sound like I'm speaking a different language. It may. These are God's words. They're beautiful. They are true. I think if you listen to them and if you read and follow along, you will see, you will see what they're saying. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent. You are a God who speaks. Lord, you have spoken to us. You have saved us. You have brought life to us through your word. And we believe right now, Lord, that you will speak to us again. So we pray that you would take these words that we believe to be eternal, to be true, to be beautiful words. Lord, we ask that you would write them on our hearts, bring clarity to our minds, Father, and conviction in our spirits. We ask that you would use this time to strengthen our faith in you. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. 
Well, I don't know about you, but for Christmas, uh, it's a time for me where I often just think about my life. Traditions, these seasons of life that cause us to think back um, to what Christmases have been like in our past. For me, one of the memories around Christmas time that I'm always taken back to is the memory of Christmas Eve at my grandparents' house. My grandparents lived outside of Dubuque in a small farmhouse, and my, grand, my, my grandparents had seven kids. My mom's, this is my mom's side of the family, and there was some 30-plus grandkids that would gather on Christmas Eve around um, in my grandfather's home, and um, we would have a meal. We would enjoy fellowship and family and fun and just the shenanigans of Christmas Eve, if you will. Now, the night would kind of come to an end. All children gathered around my grandfather's rocking chair. And we would do kind of your, your just typical gift exchange. And the, 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 the picture is of my grandfather in his chair, just surrounded at his feet with Christmas presents. Maybe some of you have a similar scene in your family, maybe not. And the children would all sit there. It would be my grandfather, the gifts, and then the children. And I can remember as a young boy just sitting on that ground, just waiting anticipating for that gift that had my name to be called. Well, every year it was a little different. Every year it was a little different. Sometimes my name would get called right away, and sometimes it would take a little bit longer for my name to get called. Maybe you've been in a similar situation. And I can remember as a boy sitting there, and the longer I had to wait for my name to be called and my gift to be given, um, the longer I waited, the more a, a sense of fear would begin to set into my soul, and you would see it on my face. A sense of fear that maybe I had been forgotten. I don't know if you know the feeling or not. Sitting there waiting for my name to be called, and, and gift after gift, I would see my brother open his gift, and he was delighting, and he was just taking joy in just what he had just unopened, opened, opened, what he had just opened, Meanwhile, I'm sitting there, my face begins to look more like Eeyore, right? Like, just depressed and sad, like, oh, no, there's nobody bothering me. Remember about poor old Doug, you know, just sitting there, right? The longer I waited, the more fearful I had become that I had been forgotten. Uh, there's a good chance that many of us here this morning have shared that fear in one way or another. Maybe it's not around Christmas time, but most of us can relate to the potential of being forgotten, how fearful that is. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Nobody likes to be forgotten. Nobody wants to be forgotten. We want to be people who are remembered, right? We want to be people who are remembered. Folks, I think as oftentimes as we consider the world that we live in, as we look at the circumstances, maybe in your life, around your life, the world that we live in, oftentimes the conclusion, based on those circumstances, that we, if we are not careful, can be tempted to draw, is that if there is a God, he has forgotten us. As we consider the world around us, maybe the, the sin, the evil, the wickedness, the death that we suffer, there's an echo, I'm not sure if it's this. Somehow there's an echo. I'm not sure. I'll just keep going. Okay. As we consider our circumstances, we can be tempted to think that God, if he exists, has forgotten us. 
Folks, John chapter 1 comes to us this morning as really good news. Because in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, there's a lot of things going on. And in just two sermons, this week and next week, I can assure you, we won't cover everything that's happening in John chapter 1, 1 through 14. But this morning, what John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 tells us that is really good news for us in this Christmas season. And, and really, as we think of the story of, of Jesus coming to earth, taking on flesh, becoming a person, walking among us as a human being. As we think of just the Christmas story in general, it is good news because it reminds us that there is a God and he has not forgotten you. That's what John chapter 1 tells us. When John starts off his ministry, or sorry, starts off his book reminding us of the life and ministry of Jesus, he starts off by reminding us that there is a God, and he is not a God who has forgotten his people. Remember, there was years of silence before Jesus arrived on the scene. Hundreds of years of God's people waiting. That's what the Advent season is all about, waiting for the arrival of the king. As God's people waited, can you imagine what they were tempted to think? Hundreds of years, year after year, generations come and gone. The temptation would have been to think that God had forgotten his people. As we think of the image of the manger scene, a baby in a cradle, surrounded by shepherds, animals, maybe, Mary. Joseph, a little baby, the first thing that should come into our mind is that we should remember that scene tells us God has not forgotten you, and he has not forgotten me. There is a God, and he remembers us. This morning, as we consider these verses, I really want to just focus on one verse, primarily verse 5. What I want to show us this morning, first of all, is that we as a people have a shared need. As God's people, as really people in this world, this world has a shared need. If we sit in here this morning, some of us may be followers of Jesus, some of us maybe not, just exploring, and that's great. One thing that we all share is that we have a need. Verse 5, the need that is described in each of our lives is defined as darkness. There is a need that each and every one of us have, and that need is a need for light. There's a need for light. So first off, in verse 5, we kind of work in verse 5 and kind of go throughout this text just a little bit. But I want to show you, first of all, the need, our shared need, our need for light. This is a theme that John will play on throughout his book. We see it happen throughout the Bible, the theme of light and darkness. Darkness, really in principle in the Bible, is associated with evil, with sin, and with death. It is all that which is opposed to God's purposes of order, of goodness, and of beauty throughout creation. That's what darkness is. is it opposes God's work. It's, it's the part of this world that sits to this day estranged from God. It's, it's the part of this world that has yet to be made alive to God. That's what darkness is. And when we think about darkness in our world, it's helpful for us to think of it really, come, kind of come at it from two different angles. The first angle is the darkness that's out there. The darkness that's out there. This darkness out there stands outside from us. It, it plagues our nations. It invades civilizations. 
It works against the beautiful order of God's creation. It's a darkness out there. Think of oftentimes when we think of the darkness that's out there, we think of it in terms of sort of like a, a scary monster that's lurking in the shadows. And our job is to sort of keep ourselves shielded from the darkness out there. If we're a parent with kids, we want to protect our kids from, from all the darkness out there that they could be exposed to. Perhaps some of you are here today, in fact, because you're trying to get away from that darkness yourself. Maybe you're familiar with that darkness. Maybe you live and in, in in, in work in an environment that is just surrounded with darkness and you can feel it. So Sunday mornings is a time for you to come out of it, right? You're here to escape it. It's a darkness that's out there. This darkness out there has you feeling betrayed. It has you feeling angry or hurt maybe even abused or scared. This darkness is the result of violence and injustice, of abuse and scandal, oppression, corruption, miseducation. Just pick up a copy of the newspaper and you will see lots of darkness out there. However, if our understanding of the darkness of our day is simply limited to the darkness that is out there, we have misdiagnosed the problem and will most likely misplace our hope. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we think that darkness, the darkness of our day, is simply limited to the world that is apart from us out there, then we don't fully understand it and our hope will be completely and totally misplaced because, folks, darkness doesn't just live out there. It does, to be sure. But darkness also lives in here. It also lives inside every single one of us. You know, it's popular in our world, especially today, and I think always, to think of sin and evil and darkness in terms of just the outside world. Darkness of our newsfeed or our timeline. We're tempted to think of sin as a force that just exists apart from us. Everything out there. However, every one of us knows in this room this morning that there are, there are sort of secret places in our hearts, right? There are secret shadows in our hearts. There, there is a part of us that only comes out when we're alone, right? There's a part of us that we suppress when we're in gatherings like this or even in our family or within our workplace right there's there's a part of us that feeds in the shadows of our hearts and we just keep feeding it just keep feeding it isaiah 64 6 says this we have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds see here's the here's kind of the trick behind this right is that even if we were to suppress those dark parts of our heart, even if we were to try our very best, the Bible tells us even you at your very best is still, what Isaiah 64 says, like a filthy rag compared to the righteousness that God demands. Even you at your best, folks, this is our condition. You at your best ain't good enough. That's the truth. That is our problem. Jesus, in just the way that he does things, wonderfully addresses both of these sort of realms of darkness in John chapter 8. Maybe you're familiar with the story. Jesus is teaching at a synagogue, and the scribes and the Pharisees bring before him a woman who was caught in adultery. 
okay? She's caught in adultery, and they, they bring her to him. They want to test him and see what he will do with this sinful woman, this adulterous woman. Should you not stone her? Jesus. Well, Jesus responds to them. He says, maybe you're familiar with the story, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? Well, these men had been had. They've been figured out, right? Jesus, in his love and in his protection, shields this woman. In his grace and in his mercy, protects her from their abuse and accusation. He protects her from the sin, from the, the wickedness, from the darkness out there. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He then looks at the woman and says, as these men fall away one by one, as they realize they've been figured out, as Jesus just totally got them, they just fall away one by one. And Jesus looks up and says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And then he says, go and sin no more. See, what Jesus did in this situation is he addressed the darkness that was out there and he did, and he had simultaneously addressed the darkness that was in this woman's heart and life. He didn't give her a pass. You see what I'm saying? Folks, every single one of us, when we think of the dark world that we live in, we are surrounded in darkness. We are people who are navigating our lives, building our families, working our careers, getting our education in a world that's flooded with darkness. It's filled with darkness. But we also have it in our souls. We have a shared need. We're living in a dark day. Every single one of us is in need of light. That's why John 1, 5 is such fantastic news. Because John 1, 5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. It's good news. The light, not just do we need light, but when we consider the light that is shining in the darkness, we also know that it is a powerful light. It shines in the darkness. The light that John says is coming in the world is a supreme light. It's a sovereign light. It is a light that is always triumphant over darkness. He says it two ways. He says, first, the light shines in the darkness. The description for his original hearers would be sort of unique and it's sort of a different way for them to think about God in this creation, in this universe. The light and darkness, in their minds, they would have thought of sort of a dualistic sort of terms, light and darkness, sort of competing, working against each other in the world. Well, John 1 through 5 says, God, 1 John 1 through 5 says, God is light and in him there is no Darkness. So the picture that we have of God in the Bible is not of a, of a God who is divided. Okay? Now the Greek pantheon would have been totally different. Their mythological gods would have been gods who would, you would have had to appease because sometimes they were dark and evil and mad and angry gods and sometimes they were good. They were divided gods. John tells us the God of the Bible is not divided. He is all light all the time. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Amen. Right? That's the God of the Bible. Voice cracking or not cracking. It don't matter. He's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right? He's not a divided God. 
So they would have seen the world, and they would have seen deity in these sort of divided, sort of competing ways. When John says the light shines in darkness, I love the fact that he uses the present tense. And as we read it today, we can read it in the present tense as well. The light shines in the darkness. The light did not, what's the past tense, shone? Is that what I'd be saying, shone? Yeah, it did shone, and it will show, all right? It's always shining. You understand what I'm saying? The light shines in the darkness. I think of like walking down my hallway. The light is on in my hallway. Light is off in my bedroom. The door's closed. As I walk down my hallway and I reach out and open the door from my bedroom, what does not happen is the darkness from the bedroom does not come flooding out into the hallway and overwhelm me, right? Has that ever happened to you? No, it never will happen because that's not how light and darkness work, right? Darkness is always subject to light. So the minute that door comes flying open, light comes rushing in. To the darkness. It's exactly what happens. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. The light that we have is always victorious, always triumphant. Darkness of this world, folks, does not stand a chance against the light of Jesus. It will always be put out. This light is triumphant. He goes on to say it another way. He says, darkness has not overcome it. Darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you were to just, again, if I was looking at verse 5, I would just circle that word overcome. Some of you may not have the ESV version of the Bible in your hands. We'll pray for you. That's okay. Maybe you've got the NIV. The NIV says it a different way. The NIV says the word overcome, there's a bit of a translation debate historically. And it's, it's interesting, if you were to study it, it's actually divided scholastically about two different ways scholars divide it, evenly. Half of them, I wouldn't say evenly, but close, it seems like. A good, good, good chunk of them think that the best way to interpret the word overcome is actually understand. The, 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 the darkness is unable to understand. Sorry, the light, darkness is unable to understand the light. The ESV translates it as unable to overcome. And the reason why this word is translated into English in sort of two different ways historically is not because there's confusion. What does this word mean? It's because biblically it's been interpreted in different places. It comes to mean both things. So what John is doing, the folks who are interpreting, interpreting it as understand are just using the context that's immediately right there. Okay? Those who are interpreting it overcome use the broader thing and looking, okay, where else is this word used throughout Scripture and what's the best interpretation of it? So what John is doing, and he does this throughout his gospel, is he's using a word that has sort of a double meaning. So the truth is it actually means both. So it's okay if your translation says understand it or if it's okay if it says overcome it. Both really are true. Darkness is unable in one sense to understand the light. It cannot comprehend or grasp or get a hold of the light. At the same time, darkness is unable to overcome the light. If they're pitted against each other every time, it is an unfair match. Every single time, the light is victorious. The light will prevail. Think of, let's just say, you know, Dominic and I playing basketball. Every single time, I will prevail over Dominic, <laughs> hands down, all right, every single time. Don't think so? There's a gym right there. I mean, we can figure it out if you want, maybe later. 
Maybe a better example, maybe a better example would be LeBron James and Dominic. I'll stay out of it. Every single time. LeBron James is just going to, he's going to have his way. It won't even be fair, right? It's the exact same thing with light and darkness. There is a guarantee, folks, that we have that when you are in the light, you share in the victory of Jesus. Darkness is not only, is it unable to figure the light out, it's unable to put the light out. That's the confidence we have in Jesus. Jesus' life shines so brightly against the dark backdrop of this world. His light shines like the light of true knowledge and moral purity. Light that is the very presence of God, the light of the world. And darkness can't do a thing about it. Darkness can't defeat him, no matter how hard it tries. In fact, the light of the gospel is not only winning, folks, believe it or not, it is accelerating. So that we could say the risen Christ is striding through this world to this day at this very moment, calling people from the left, calling people from the right out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. You may not think it, okay? I think part of the problem is the sort of 24-hour news cycle that we have right now wants nothing more than to feed us with the darkness of the world. It wants nothing more to, to, to create in us a sense of fear and helplessness, maybe lose confidence in our faith. But Jesus is striding through this world as we speak, calling men and women to himself, bringing them, as it says in 1 Peter, out of the darkness and into his marvelous night. Right now, he's victorious. Folks, this should strengthen our faith. This should strengthen our faith. What God says he will do. Last thing I want to see, show you just real quick is the source of this light. I think you've probably figured it out by now. We've got a, the need for light. We see that the light itself is incredibly powerful, is totally supreme, and nothing can stop it. Lastly, I want to show you the source of light. The source of light, get ready for it, folks. You're not going to see this one coming. Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the source of our light. It's the undeniable light of the world. It's Jesus himself. Now, it's interesting because the name Jesus doesn't actually show up until you read and get to verse 17. You don't see Jesus' name. Until then, he is referred to primarily as the Word. The Word. If you are reading this story, and maybe a little familiar with the Bible, or you've been um, here, we just started in the fall, we went through the book of Genesis. And as you're reading this first portion of John, you immediately your mind will be taken back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, this is John chapter 1, was the word. These words resonate with cadence. They redound with meaning and they are resplendent with majesty. As we read them, our minds go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, where God creates and speaks the entire universe into existence. If you were to read that passage, which we won't do for the sake of time this morning, but if you were to read through Genesis 1... Um, you would see a phrase that moves us along throughout the narrative. And the phrase that keeps coming up over and over and over again in Genesis chapter 1 is, and God said. And God said. God creates his universe by the power of his word. 
All of the created universe comes to existence by the power of his spoken word. So his word is so powerful that nothing can resist it. The very beginning, the first thing he does is he speaks light into the darkness of this world. The whole world is described as being completely void of light, void of life, until God's word is spoken. And then light shoots out of his mouth and fills the universe. He, he, through his power of his word, he puts lights in the sky. Those lights divide the darkness from the night. By the power of his word, he, he creates every living creature that then sustains itself by living under that light. All of this life is generated by the power of his word. It is unobjectionable, virtually self-evident then for John to say, in the beginning was the word. It's how God made the universe. But he continues, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. This idea of the word being with God. Had the word not existed in the beginning, how could God have created everything through him? What's more, if the word was already with God, the eternal infinite, ever-living God, then the Word shares in God's pre-existence. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. John tells us that this Word through whom God spoke everything into existence was God himself, establishing not that there are two gods, but that there is one God. The God of the Bible, folks, exists in community. If you're familiar with the creation narrative, you know that the, the world was full of life. It was full of activity. Genesis 1, Genesis 3. God had created this lush garden and placed man and woman in the garden where they were able to live the, the abundance of life, enjoying the fullness of God himself. But then we get to Genesis 3. It's a dark day. It's a dark day in Genesis 3. This man and woman turn their back on the creator. They reject their God. They try to do things and live life their way. Folks, in Genesis 3, the people choose darkness over light. And if the story just goes on throughout biblical literature and throughout redemptive history, you will see that that is the plight of man, choosing darkness over light. That's what Jesus says when he comes on the scene in John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people, get this, loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Folks, the story of the Bible is the story of God coming back to us. If you wanted to just read all of the Bible and say, give me a summary statement. I could do better. I could give you three words that summarize all of Scripture and what God is doing in the Bible. It's this. God with us. That's what God is telling us in the Bible. In Genesis 3, the dark day says that we have gone away from God. We are apart from God. Darkness creeps into his created order. And it separates us. It alienates us. We become dead to God. 
But all of scripture, all of time, God is coming back to us so that he can be with us. And that culminates here in the very first Christmas morning. When the word himself takes on flesh, comes to earth, and lives with us. The point of this passage is that he has not forgotten he is the light. If you were to keep reading into John, let's say John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, you would see he makes a reference here to, to John the Baptist. I've often wondered when I've read this, why? It's a, it's a, it's a different sort of writing style. He, he, he introduces John the Baptist, not John the writer, but John the Baptist in verses 6 through, seven, 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then he goes back into it several other places and introduces John again. He, he leaves and John, comes back to him in, in verse 15, and then he comes back to him again in verse 19. And it's just an odd writing style. I've often thought to myself, why? What is he saying? Why would he introduce us to John the Baptist here for two verses and then move on? What's his point? Why would he do that? His point is simple. John was not the light. The point is simple. Jesus is the only light of the world. As great of a man as John was, and be sure he was great. Jesus himself said, John the Baptist, there was no greater human being born of woman than John the Baptist. John was a good dude. He had following. People loved this man. He was a wise teacher. But he was not the light. I think what John is doing is very critical in the text. Because it's the exact same temptation that each and every one of us have every single day. Okay? To place Jesus sort of on a shelf with other scholars, other thinkers, other great people throughout history and say, Jesus was a good dude. Jesus was a light. What John is establishing here is that no, Jesus was not a good light. He doesn't come to us this morning as a wise sage with one hand pointing to a light off in the distance and another hand extending to us to guide us to that light. That's not what Jesus does. What Jesus does is he says, look at me. I am the light. As great of a dude as John the Baptist was, as great of as, a, as, as a prophet as this man was, he came to bear witness to the one and only true light. He gives us a great model for what God calls us to as we step into the light, right? The direct application is you aren't the light. Most of us, if we don't replace the light with a great thinker or a great scholar or another great person, quite honestly, the person that we want to put up on that pedestal, it's us. And, and then the, sort of the narrative of the day is if you want to do something with yourself, if you want to be triumphant in life, Look inside. Discover who you are, right? The, the real you, and project that out there for the rest of the world. You want to find salvation, look to you. Folks, that's a nasty gospel. That's no gospel. The gospel story says, no, if you want life, step into the light. And there's only one light. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus, folks. That's good news for us, because I'm sorry, when I think of looking inside of myself, discovering who I am, man, 
I would have a lot of apologizing to do if I wanted to put that out there, all right? I need help. Every single one of us needs help. And this is so, the reason why the gospel is such good news is because what it requires from you isn't good ideas, isn't wonderful effort. Folks, it's the empty hands of faith. It's coming into the light with the empty hands of faith and receiving all that he is. Allowing the light to not just, not just projecting the light out into the community. And to, to think about where the darkest corners of are, are of our world or our neighborhood or our job. And, and taking light into those dark places. We must do that. But folks, it's also opening up the darkness of our heart. Cracking it open and letting the light of Jesus shine on it. We are children. He tells us later, we are children. Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 8, we are children of the light. That's our identity now. It, it, once you come into the light, you reflect the light. You bask in the light. You live in the light. So this morning, I want two quick applications. First of all, some of us, um, maybe, when we think of the world, when we think of our life, when we think of our heart, we are overcome darkness we're overwhelmed with darkness for us when we think of our life all we think of is it is a dark day good news of christmas folks is that god has not forgotten you god's light shines in the darkness and no matter what circumstance no matter what disease no matter what problem no matter what relational strife you are in no matter what darkness you find yourself navigating in Jesus extends to you a light. He shines on you, in you, and wants to shine through you. So first application is come into the light. Receive the gift of life. Second application is for those of us, for those of you here today who have received this, John gives us another challenge in his first epistle in chapter 1. I'm just going to read these words to you real quick. This is the challenge for you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you've received in the light, these are wonderful words. Here's the, here's the call to you. John, this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5. I'll read 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we are walking in the light, if we say we are with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are here today, and there, there might be, for every one of us, there's, there's some darkness. There's, there's parts of us that just want to stay in the shadows and just feed themselves, right? The invitation for you this morning is to confess your sins. He is faithful and just. He's able to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We, as a church, we want to be a church that walks in the light. What's interesting about 1 John is as we picture this, this idea of walking in the light, it is just like God lives in community, God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Word, the Father together at creation. 
um, we are called to a community of people. We are not. The picture is. Now, I love the fact that for us Sunday mornings, for many of you, can be and should be a place where, where you're able to kind of set the darkness aside and step into a community of believers to exalt Jesus and worship him for who he is. I love the fact Sunday should be a place where you come and you are restored, you are refreshed, you are renewed, you are encouraged and challenged and convicted. You are strengthened in your faith. It should happen. But here's the good news of being a child of the light. The light doesn't just stay in this place, okay? The light does not just stay here. There's nothing magical, you probably have already noticed by the lack of anything on the walls, about this facility. There's nothing magical about it, all right? There isn't. The light that we have been called into, that we have access to, goes with us wherever we are. Now, there's the challenge, right? There's the challenge. Is how do we walk in the light in our home, in our neighborhood, at our school, in our work? How do we stay strengthened in our faith as a people wherever we are? This year, if you go to Parkviews on a regular basis, there's going to be a few things that we're going to call you to as a people. And they're going to be very simple things, okay? One of the things that's been a burden for us here at this church is that we want to have a culture here where we are deeply committed and connected to prayer. Where we, we recognize that we have this glorious reality, that we have access to God, the creator of the universe, the superior light to the world, a light that can't be put out 24-7. And I'll just be honest, it can be difficult sometimes to tap into that. So we want to do that well together as a people. So I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of set the ball on the tee this Sunday. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about, as a church that is committed to praying together for one another, what does that look like for the calendar year moving forward? We've got a plan in place. And over the next couple of weeks, it's one thing that we're going to be calling you to, is that we would be a people of prayer as we walk in this light. Second thing we're going to be calling you to is a people who read this book. Read this book. One of the things I'm really excited about is we're going to be, as a church, walking through. We're going to be promoting it. Uh, Lynn has been doing some work on it. But it's basically, this, this may sound real. This is, I'm excited for this. It is a Bible reading plan that will be adaptable for adults, middle-aged kids, and kids. So if you have a family here and you want to read the scripture, there's, as a church, what we want to do is we want to try to read through this book together. Okay? And so Lynn is putting something together where we're going to be able to give that in your hands. And here's the, we'll talk more about it as we go. But the third thing, so we want people who call you to, to a, a call you to prayer, call you to reading your Bible. And the third thing is calling you to be an outward-facing people, right? That as the light shines on us, we want to shine the light around us, right? So we're also going to call you to think about how you can serve how you can shine your light in this community, not just in this body, but in this community, okay? So those three things are going to be something that we're going to try to help support you with so that as you think about being the life wherever God, the light wherever God has placed you to, shining that light, that you will be equipped with what you need to do that, okay? So church, we're going to go ahead and stand up. At the end of service, if you want to um, pray, there will be folks down here praying, Whether you guys and some other folks ever wants to pray, just gather up front. We'd love to pray together. I'm going to pray for us now, and then Lily's going to come up and close our service in song. Father God, we thank you for just the good news of this passage, Lord. The reality that you are God, and you have not forgotten your people. Lord, I pray that as we think of the darkness around us, the darkness of this world, Lord, I pray that you would allow our response to not be one of fear, 
Lord, but that would be one that is strengthened in our faith in you because we know you to be the only true light of the world. Lord, we, we, we just ask that you would make it very clear to each and every one of us um, how good you are, Lord, and how much you have shown your love to us. Lord, we think of just even the, the amazing way by which you conquered the darkness by allowing the darkness to conquer you on the cross and then defeating it through the resurrection. Um, Lord, your story is amazing, and we thank you that you have invited us to be a part of it. We love you. We ask these things in your name.